Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Law, your host. So glad to be here with you and glad that you're here with us. I want to draw your attention to something before we get started with the rest of our program. Something very important, very timely. And this is the Fortnight for Freedom. Fortnight for Freedom. It runs from Thursday, June 21st to Thursday, July 4th. That's June 21st to July 4th, Thursday to Thursday. It's happening in the Catholic Church throughout America. And this is perpetuated, instigated, initiated by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and rightly so, very timely. Fortnight for Freedom, of course, is the effort to protect religious freedom in our nation, and this is especially timely, as I mentioned, because on August 1st, we have something that could change our life dramatically. I'm going to read a quote from the letter from the bishops. It says, The need for prayer, education, action, defense of religious liberty has never been greater, explained Archbishop Laurie. The fortnight for freedom exists to meet that need. This year's fortnight occurs just before August 1st, when the administration's mandate coercing us to violate our deeply held beliefs will be enforced against most religious nonprofits. During the fortnight, the Supreme Court's decision on the definition of marriage will likely be handed down as well. Those decisions could have a profound impact on religious freedom for generations to come. I think this paragraph, this quote from Archbishop Laurie, just sums it up perfectly. So, what I'm going to do is direct you to a source. If you have not heard of this already at your parishes or through any other means, You're hearing it here in light of the East, because this concerns all of us, East and West, the whole church. Both lungs of the church have to breathe together in this one. I'm going to direct you to the website, fortnightforfreedom.org, and that four is a number four, fortnightforfreedom.org. And the reason I'm directing you there is because this site hosts resources such as one-page fact sheets outlining current threats to religious freedom, both in the United States and abroad, frequently asked questions about religious liberty, including quotes from the Founding Fathers, the Second Vatican Council, and Popes John Paul II and Benedict XVI, and a study guide on Dignitatis Humanae, Vatican II's document on religious liberty. So, once again, fortnightforfreedom.org. I highly recommend that you go there for these great resources. Now, largely, of course, this is being put on by the Roman Catholic Church, the Latinite bishops, of course, our bishops, Eastern bishops in America are part of it. And a lot of the literature and some of the things that are being put out for prayer and liturgies and masses and so on are going to largely be geared at the Latin Rite Church. However, these things can all be adapted 
to the Eastern Rites. Certainly, if nothing else, we go to these resources so that you can be aware, aware of the why and the what of these threats and what can we do about them, what's important about them, and how significant this August 1st date is. So once again, I'm asking all of you, East and West, go to fortnightforfreedom.org and get that valuable information and materials there. Fortnight for Freedom. And become involved. Fortnightforfreedom.org. We've been talking about the Eucharist, especially from the Eastern Christian perspective. As always, we compare the church on a program, East and West, in a complementary way. I mean that actually kind of two ways. <laughs> complementary means we complement each other, but complementary meaning the two go together like man and woman. So we're looking at the Eucharist, and surely when it comes to the basic belief about the Eucharist, no doubt about it, both East and West believe in that real presence. There's no doubt about that. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about the particular emphasis, as always, and that's always a difference, the emphasis of the Eucharist from the different perspectives. In our case, of course, primarily the Eastern perspective. Now, one of the things I mentioned to you to keep in mind this whole thing is a bell curve. Think of it as a bell curve. There's always, in the Eastern churches, this bell curve kind of rhythm. In other words, where it's a rising action. You take a lot of time to move up to something. Then there's the thing itself, the climactic moment, and then there's sort of the falling action and resolution. And that cycle is repeated again. So it's very important to imagine a bell curve, a lot of lead-up time, a lot of lead-up action. Last time we mentioned that part of the lead-up action is the entire rite of the preparation of the gifts on a separate table, which nowadays is in the sanctuary of Eastern churches, but it used to be in a whole separate building. And there was a grand procession that would come from that building into the main worship area of the church. Nowadays, in Byzantine churches, that preparation happens at a table. looks like an altar, but it's really not an altar. It's a table of preparation, and it is to the left of the main altar as you're looking at the altar, and it's in the sanctuary. Now, what's going to happen later, now we're going to take the next step in our rising action of the bell curve, What's going to happen is we're going to take those gifts in a very solemn procession called the Great Entrance. And those gifts, in other words, the bread and the wine, the bread is on the discos. The wine, of course, is in the chalice mixed with a little bit of water. They're covered with very beautiful, elaborate veils. And these gifts will be taken in a very solemn procession about about halfway through the Divine Liturgy in Byzantine churches. Now, this is part of that buildup. You have to remember that Eucharist, especially in the Eastern churches, is something like a wedding. There's a lot of fuss. I'll call it fuss in quotes. A lot of fuss that goes on to prepare a wedding, isn't it? A wedding is a very climactic moment. It's a very, very special moment, isn't it? A special moment of intimacy, of witness, of the coming together of two people in love. And the same thing with the Eucharist. It's a wedding, essentially, a wedding feast, a mystical marriage between God and ourselves. So what happens is we approach that, especially in Eastern churches, somewhat like a wedding. There's a lot of fuss, as it were, a lot of buildup, a lot of preparation. So we come to that point in liturgy where we're going to bring those gifts and place them on the altar so they become the body and blood of Christ. And the Latin Rite Church might call this bringing up the gifts. In the Eastern churches, we call it, actually it could be called bringing them around and up. Naturally, in the East, we're always a little bit longer, a little bit more elaborate. (laughs) Now, during this time, since it's a preparatory time, the worshiping faithful are singing a particular hymn, which we're going to hear in a moment. But before that, and during that actually, during that, the priest is praying very special prayers, which we're going to look at a little later on. This procession is the great entrance, and during this time and leading up to it, the faithful are singing a marvelous, beautiful hymn called the Cherubic Hymn. 
We're going to hear this Trubic hymn sung by Annunciation Parish Choir of Homer Glen, Illinois. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. 
That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Watch how you pray. People are watching you pray. And now, a Szeptycki Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. In a pastoral letter on church singing, Andrzej Szeptycki once wrote, In sung prayer, especially in the sung divine office, the Holy Church provides people with a kind of augmentation of the gospel proclamation. The very appearance of people who are praying encourages others to imitate them. And their appearance, the words and the style, also teach others how to pray. To perform the divine office, as well as all church singing in a holy way, is one of the many ways that we can cause the name of our Most High God, the Heavenly Father, to be glorified even with our limited abilities. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm your host, Father Thomas Loya. And again, I want to turn your attention during this critical time to the Fortnight for Freedom. Go to the website fortnightforfreedom.org. And that four is actually a number four. So it's fortnightforfreedom.org. Wonderful resources that we all need, East and West, to fortify ourselves, to arm ourselves, actually to strengthen ourselves, to fight for religious freedom. We have to, first of all, be aware. So please go to fortnightforfreedom.org. Marvelous resources there and become involved. We're moving through our lead-up, a rising action of our bell curve as we look at the Eucharist. Remember, always keep the bell curve image in mind. Then you understand really the rhythm, the kind of the soul, the liturgy, especially the Eastern churches. Now you heard the very magnificent, it's one of my favorite, one of my most, to me, one of the most moving hymns of our church, the Trubic Hymn. And you heard it sung by Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Choir just before the break. And they were singing the Virgin Trubic Hymn written by a well-known Byzantine musician called Bortnansky. Bortnanski writes beautiful stuff for the church. Now, during this hymn, the priest is saying some very special prayers, three in particular. First, it's the prayer of the faithful, and also the next one is called the second prayer of the faithful. Now, these prayers are lead-in prayers. I'm going to give you an example. The first prayer, 
the priest is saying this. This is while the people were singing that troop hymn. We thank you, Lord, our God of powers, for having made us worthy to stand at this time before your holy altar and to prostrate ourselves before your mercy for our sins and for the people's failings. Accept our prayer, O God, and make us worthy to offer you prayers and supplications and unbloody sacrifices for all your people. Enable us, whom you have placed in this your ministry through the power of your Holy Spirit, to call upon you at all times and in all places without condemnation or blame and with a pure testimony of our conscience, that hearing us, you may be merciful to us in the greatness of your goodness. For to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is due all glory, honor, and worship now and ever and forever. Amen. Now, the priest is saying this silently, or not exactly silently, but it's not audible to the people because they're singing the Trubic hymn. Many of the prayers that the priest prays, especially in the Byzantine church in America, the way it's done, many of these priest prayers are said out loud so the people can hear them. But some are not said out loud, at least audibly to the people. Now, there is a second prayer of the faithful, and it says this, Again and again we fall down before you and beseech you, O good and loving God, that you hear our prayer and cleanse our souls and bodies of every defilement of flesh and spirit. Grant that we may stand before your holy altar without blame and condemnation. Bestow also upon those who pray with us the advancement of faith, life, and spiritual understanding. Grant that they who serve you with fear and love may partake of your holy mysteries without blame and condemnation and be made worthy of your heavenly kingdom, that being ever protected by your power, we may give glory to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. Now, these are prayers, or what we might call prayers of ascent. Think of the Old Testament, the Psalms of Ascent. These were psalms that the Jewish people would sing as they literally would ascend the Temple Mount. They would go up these long steps towards a temple, and they would chant these particular psalms. Well, that same action of ascent, of preparing ourselves to ascend to the altar of sacrifice, that is the same flavor, the same kind of spirit as these prayers that I just read that are said by the priests while the people are singing the true hymn. And you notice all this is really a very intense and elaborate buildup. We're really trying to prepare ourselves before we dare come to that altar and even furthermore dare to receive the body and blood of Christ into our, our whole person. So we really take this seriously with this huge, huge, elaborate preparation. But we go even further. The priest does something else. During that trubic hymn, and you can imagine the trubic hymn takes a little while because it has to be sung while the priest is saying these particular priestly prayers. He prays the prayer of the Cherubicon. This is the one time when the priest prays almost exclusively for himself during the liturgy. And he raises his hands, and this is what he says. It's a lengthy prayer, but a very meaningful and beautiful prayer, a very personal one for the priest. No one who is bound by carnal desires and pleasures is worthy to come to you, to approach you, or to minister to you, the King of glory. For to minister to you is great and awesome, even to the heavenly powers themselves. Yet, because of your ineffable and immeasurable love for all of us, you unchanged and unchangeable became man, were designated our high priest and, as master of all, entrusted us with the priestly service of this liturgical, unbloody sacrifice. You alone are God, our Lord. Rule over all things in heaven and on earth and are born aloft on the cherubic throne. You are the Lord of the seraphim and the King of Israel, who alone are holy and dwell in the holy sanctuary. Therefore, I beseech you, who alone are good and ready to hear. 
Look favorably upon me, your sinful and unprofitable servant. Cleanse my heart and soul of an evil conscience, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable me, who have been clothed with the grace of the priesthood, to stand before you this, your holy table, in the priestly service of your sacred and pure body and precious blood. Bowing my head, I approach you and implore you, turn not your face away from me, nor exclude me from among your children, but allow these gifts to be offered to you by me, your sinful and unworthy servant. For you yourself, O Christ our God, offer and are offered. You receive and are distributed, and we give glory to you with your eternal Father, your all-holy, good and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. You'll also notice in that prayer, as in the previous prayer, is that we always end our prayers, the doxology, as they say, with the invocation, a reference to the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is very common in the Western Long of the Church to end the prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. That was the focus on Christ. The Eastern Church has a focus on Christ as well, of course, but again, the emphasis, and it's always a difference, is what is being emphasized. In the East especially, we always are emphasizing the triune Godhead. In other words, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we end our prayers that way. But you heard from those words, the very moving words of the priest, how the priest is really putting himself at the very feet of God, asking God to make him worthy, to engage, to be a part of this unbloody sacrifice. It's not the priest who changes the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit through the priest. So the priest really opens himself up, even physically, raises his hands, opens his, his hands to God, his arms, his heart, and asks for God's grace. And he bows his head, as you heard, and saying, bowing my head, I approach you and implore you, turn not your face away from me, nor exclude me from among your children, but allow these gifts to be offered to you by me your sinful and unworthy servant. Well, now we're ready for the great entrance. And as the great entrance is happening, the gifts eventually are brought from the side table, which I mentioned was originally a building on the outside. It's it's actually not connected with the church itself centuries ago. But it is a procession from this table now, which is now inside the church and sanctuary, through the doors of the icon screen, the deacon doors called the north doors of the icon screen, all the way around throughout the church. It's a great solemn procession. We've got all the altar boys and the deacon and the incense called the great entrance. Now, what's very significant about this is that this great entrance was at a point in the liturgy, especially centuries ago, when some of the dignitaries would join the liturgy at that point, especially the patriarch or the sort of the ranking bishop. And so the priest will commemorate him. He'll say, may the Lord God remember his kingdom, our holy father, for us, we call it, of course, the Pope, Francis, Pope of Rome. For the Orthodox churches, they will mention their patriarch. Then we mention our most reverend metropolitan, if, we have an, if there's an archbishop. Also, then, our local bishop, the venerable priesthood, the monks, the monastic orders, the entire priestly, diaconal, and monastic orders, our government, all the service of our country, the ever-memorable founders and benefactors of this holy church. In other words, we remember everybody, and including what the special intention might be for that liturgy. In fact, sometimes we even throw in extra things, like, for instance, most recently, we might say, for the victims of the tornadoes in Oklahoma City, or maybe for someone who's, who's very ill. Centuries ago, what would happen during this time, as the priests came in the processions, as great processions, great entrance occurred, people would actually 
kind of shout out or whisper or say to the priest and the deacon as they're processing, remember my uncle, remember my grandmother, remember so-and-so, remember my son. And the priest would say that. So they would actually engage <laughs> engage their petitions, their personal petitions in this great entrance. But today we kind of slim it down so it doesn't get out of hand. But the point is, if you notice on the wording, the aim is to remember everyone. Everybody's included because we're all going to come together as one body in the one body and blood of Christ on the altar. We'll continue our bell curve journey into the Eucharist from the Eastern Christian perspective next time. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>